Well, hey, everybody. Enough social time. Enough already. I know you like each other. Here we go. So happy to see you. So happy to be with you. I'd like to open today's message with a scripture from First uh, John chapter 2 and Philippians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along with that. But it just kind of helps prime our hearts and minds for what God is going to be teaching us today. And we've got, a, we've got a whole lot of Bible, so I hope that you're ready. I hope you've got your note card ready to take some good notes. All right, Katie, I know you're ready. Sam, you ready? Do you need a couple extras? No, you got a notebook. You're ready to go. This is so good. Uh, so this is 1 John uh, chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. It says this. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. That's some, some intense words to start our message today. The good news kicks in soon. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him that is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Philippians 2, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we get started. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe that you're real that you're good, that you love us, and you lead to peace. God, we ask that you'd speak to us today, that you'd break down some of the barriers in our hearts and minds that we might carry in with us. God, all those things that beg for our attention, God, we ask that they would just be cleared out and stripped away so we might really abide in your presence this morning. Because that's why we're here. We're not here to just learn more stuff. We're, learn, we're here to, to spend time with you, God, to learn to love you more, and to be with you in this place with one another. And so Jesus, again, we're just so grateful for all that you've done, all that you've promised to do, and we ask that you would just continue to teach us and open our eyes, soften our hearts. So it's your name that we pray, and we all said, amen. Welcome home again. So glad you're here. How are you feeling? So good? Anyone having like a little bit of like a sugar crash from all the candy? Anybody? Yeah, I see. I love it. Um, that was, stopping by Treat Street yesterday was so neat. Hundreds of people coming by, and what a gift it is for us to be able to show what God is like to folks through something like candy and dressing up in costumes. Super cool. All right, so as we begin today, uh, quick question. Has anyone here ever had a hard time adjusting to change? I didn't expect that. That's amazing. I'm so glad. You're going to love this message. It's going to be great. Anyone ever have a hard time settling into a new season on the other side of a transition where you kind of feel, instead of feeling confident where you are, confident and steady in your new life, instead of feeling confident, you start to kind of look back and long for what was. 
And it leaves you feeling kind of like you're stuck in the middle of two worlds where you've actually graduated from one into the next, but you don't really know how to live in the next. And so you're kind of straddling this line of before and after. Anyone ever been there? Of course, we all have. I now know everyone's been there. Living on the other side of change can be an adjustment. And it's an adjustment for a lot of reasons. But I found that more often than not, it's a challenge because every season of life we experience from cradle to the grave, every season of life we experience comes with it a series of rules that help define what's allowed, what's possible, what's acceptable and expected for a particular time. There are rules to life at every age that help create boundaries for how to live and what we do. For example, uh, when you're a kid, there are a lot of rules. I have two kids. And so I know firsthand with my seven-year-old and my five-year-old, there are a lot of rules in my house. My kids, they can't just go turn on the stove and make their own eggs yet, okay? It's a rule. They can't stay up all night watching YouTube or playing Barbies. They can't ride their bikes to Griffith Park on their own. They can't even eat candy for dinner, okay? There's just no way. There are rules because they are kids and rules over them are designed to protect them. Rules are designed to protect them and they are essential. But as they get older, what happens? As they transition from being children to being teenagers, what happens? The rules, they change. They change. I know, I know. I'm dreading it, but I'm loving it. It's amazing. So let's say your kid's now 13, and and can they make their own eggs? Hopefully. That'd be awesome, right? Can they have sleepovers with friends and watch YouTube till 4 in the morning? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what the other parents let them do. Can they ride their bikes around the neighborhood? Of course they can. Can they eat candy for dinner? Uh, Probably still no to that one. But the reality is, depending on the house, the reality is with time and maturity come the ability, more opportunity and more freedom. And there are still these protections over them, for sure. You know, there's rules to ensure that they continue to learn and grow and develop and that they don't, you know, that they don't don't die on the way to the park. But, But when you're 13, the goal is that you don't need the same rules that you had when you were seven. Because when you're 13, you shouldn't act like you're seven. But anyone with teenagers at home, or anyone that's been a teenager, anyone ever been a teenager? <laughs> Amen, I see you. We know <laughs> a couple times, I love this. All right, just because you're in a new reality, we know this, just because you're in a new reality with new freedoms, it doesn't mean you always know how to make that shift into adolescence. It takes time, you're gonna burn some eggs, You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to slip back into acting like a kid from time to time as you walk the line between two worlds. Now, let's keep on going. As you make your way from 13 to 18, the rules change yet again. Here we go. Where years before, there was this elaborate system of protections and rules to hold you in place and to keep you safe. Now you are an adult. You can go buy lottery tickets, go buy some cigarettes, join the army. You can eat candy for dinner. You can ride your bike to San Francisco. Ain't no one going to stop you, okay? Why? Because you're an adult. You're an adult and you're expected to act like it. According to society, you have graduated into one, from one reality into another. And with it come a whole new way of life, new expectations, new opportunities, and new rules. Still what we see in any of these transitions is just because change arrives, it doesn't mean you know how to change. Just because you change, it doesn't mean you know how to live different. Transitions take time to adjust to and to live in, whether it's age or education, employment, relationships, having kids, getting older, retirement, and even even our spiritual life. As we're here at church, that's what we're talking about. Our spiritual life. 
living on one side of change and really being who you are now with Jesus can be an adjustment. It can take time to learn the rules because reality has changed. Like I, I remember um, one of these changes for me that was really challenging is when Rebecca and I first got married, um, we, we uh, had a ceremony, we signed the paper, we had a party, and then we were out of there, right? And we made our way to the hotel on our wedding night before leaving on our honeymoon, and we were, we were there and we were married Anyone remember that feeling of being married for the first time? Okay, you should, you, should, you should have been the best day of your entire life. For seven months, we were dating and then engaged. That was quick, I know. Seven months dating and engaged, and, and for a while, the entirety of that time, we had all these rules in our life to help establish what we can do and what we can't do. You know what I'm talking about. But here we are now. We're married, and, and because of a party and a piece of paper, all of a sudden, the rules are gone. The rules have changed, and now we can do whatever we want. We can do all the things we couldn't do before. We're free, right? Hallelujah. And I was fired up. But in that moment, guys, listen, in that moment, what we quickly realized was even though things changed and we were now married, we didn't really know how to be married because we spent seven months doing everything we could to not be married, if you know what I'm saying. Seven months being so careful and living with such established rules of protection that while, yes, everything was now different and everything that was different we now wanted, what was different is what we dreamed about. We still had to adjust from who we were before to who we are now. And I think, for, for us guys, I think making that change in our hearts and in our minds, I think, is, is relatively easy, you know, to abstractly understand and acknowledge that things have changed, and we're married, and we're not single anymore, but that was easy, but making the transition of allowing what we acknowledge to affect our actions, and our behaviors, and our attitudes, our expectations, and even our insecurities is a little bit more challenging. It was difficult in this new reality, even though it's what we wanted most. We were apprehensive, because the past was all we knew. The past was all we knew, and the former rules, they kept us safe. Now, what am I getting at? We are at church. Bring it all back around, friends, and you can write this down. If, if you are a Christian, then your life has changed. Can I get an amen? If you are a Christian, then you have graduated into a new season. God has brought you into a whole new reality of being with new abilities, new opportunities, new possibilities, new expectations, and new freedoms. Everything about you has changed. And I need you to understand that God did not do this new thing. He did not make you and call you and save you. God did not do the work of coming down from heaven to earth and dying on the cross on your behalf so you would go on living when you're here like you're here. God did not come to earth and do all the works so, and give you new life so you would go on living like you did before, following the old rules. No, Jesus set you free with a whole new rule of life, and that rule is him. Galatians chapter 5 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now make sure that you stay free, it says. Make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again to slavery to the law. What does this mean? It means that if you're different, live different. If you're new, live new. If you're an adult, don't pretend you're seven anymore. If you're married, don't act like you're single. If you're free, live free. Stop playing by the same rules you had when you were a slave to sin. 
Your reality has changed, and so have the rules. It's time to live faithful in this new life that you've been given with him. But as we acknowledged a moment ago, this shift, this transition, as we walk the line between the past and the present into the future with God, it can be a challenge. So, so how can we begin to make this shift, this transition from the old rules of religion to the new reality of relationship with God? How can we do it? Let's find out. Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, open up. Follow me quickly. Colossians 2. We're going to be looking at 16, verse 16 through 23 today. And if you're just joining us, if it's your first time here, we are going through the book of Colossians to find out what it means to follow Jesus on this narrow road called faith. And we're following Jesus together as a church, and, and, and we just want to make sure that we dig into what God has taught the early church, the first church, through the Apostle Paul, so we can best live with greater faith and obedience. And our passage for today, it picks up from the message from last week with Paul taking a minute to explain what God did to bring us into this new reality. We were over here, but now, now we're over here. You know, this was once our, our set of rules, but now we exist in, in freedom. And so Paul, he's doing this lead-in that we heard last week starting in verse 13. It says this. It says, you were dead. You were dead over here because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive. So you were over here and now you're over here, you get this. You're alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record and charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15 from last week. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And I love this. Again, because he's saying, um, he's setting the stage for this new reality and why the gospel is such good news. He's like, y'all, when you were dead, and we were all dead, but when you were dead, God the only God of all the universe, God chose to make you alive with Christ. He forgave you. He canceled your record of debt, and he nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed the powers and authorities of the seen and unseen world. This is what God did. He did it for you, and this is the world you have now been welcomed into. Once you were dead, but now you are alive, and there are new rules to this new reality. Paul says you are the bride of Christ. It's time for you to be married. And this is where it leads in for verse 16. This is our passage for today. Paul says, you are the bride of Christ. It's time to be married. Verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these, what is that word there? Rules are only shadows of the, of the reality that is yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. It's so good. Amen, Norm. Amen. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. This is the moment right here as we cross the line. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So Paul asks, why do you keep on following the rules? Why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules from your former way may seem wise because they require strong devotion, 
pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. They provide no help in moving a person, a free person, to live free. Now, lots to take in here, but what do we, what do we see? Let's bring it back to a bit of context. So Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, if you remember, and if you're just joining us, this a little recap. Uh, if you remember, he's addressing three primary concerns facing this church, three things. It'll be on the screen. We see legalism, syncretism, and mysticism. Legalism meant uh, that salvation or freedom, what got you here, freedom comes from Jesus plus a bunch of other good things. So it's not just Christ that brought you here. It's, it's Christ plus your good behavior, Christ plus your good disciplines, your piousness your religiosity, what you know, what you don't. So that's legalism. Second was syncretism, which meant uh, that salvation or this freedom, this new life came from Jesus plus other gods. So it's Jesus and Zeus, Jesus and Aphrodite, Jesus and all the other gods that they believed in in the first century. That's syncretism. And mysticism, which meant that, that salvation, what brought us from before to after, it comes from Jesus and or other spiritual beings. So it could be Jesus, but it could also be crystals. It could also be all these other random things that people look to for, for meaning and purpose and salvation. And so these were the three big problems we saw, mysticism, syncretism, and legal, uh, legalism in the first century church. They're still present in the 21st century church. But there were the three big problems, and so he continues to address them in verse 16 by saying, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or practicing the Sabbath. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. In this moment, this would have been a very obvious and direct connection to some of the more legalistic Jews in the community. That even though they were adults, they were kind of still acting like kids, with all sorts of protections and rules to prevent not only sin, but the situations that, that could possibly lead to sin. And what they did is they called those situations that might lead to, they just ended up calling it sin. And so I was talking to Pastor Jeff this morning in our pre-service meeting. He's like, all right, if it's a sin to touch that chair, then, then we're just going to say that, that walking off the stage is also a sin to prevent us from sinning by touching the chair. This was the legalism that was creeping into the first century church through the, through the, the people of Israel, the Jews that were joining the church. And so... While these rules, verse 23, Paul's saying, might seem wise, I get it, the protections, they might seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Paul says they're actually no help in teaching a free people to live free. Because for them, in their past, in the, the Jews of this legalistic Jews, Jewish community, faith wasn't about freedom in Christ. Faith was just about not sinning. Faith wasn't about identity and, and, and digging into and, and committing to Jesus Christ. It was just about not being a slave to sin anymore. And, and some of you might be thinking, well, well they, they, it's kind of the same outcome, isn't it? We don't want to sin, but the motivation between these things couldn't be more different. Because these people with the legalistic ten, uh, tendencies, they were still living in an old reality with old rules where you had to behave to win favor with God. But Paul just said in verse 13 that Jesus changed all of that. The new rule of life that we hear from the gospel is, isn't, uh, is that the, the church, uh, 
It's not to behave to win faith. Let me start this part over because this is really good. So the new rule of life for the church that we've been given isn't to behave to win God's favor. It's to abide in the favor we've already been given. Legalism works for salvation. Freedom works from salvation. Does that make sense? That's why Paul is like, friends, why do you keep on going back to the old rules? Why do you keep hanging on to the stuff from your former life? Such rules aren't from God. They are merely human teachings about things that will disappear anyway. And again, they might seem wise and religious, but all they really do is hold you back from living free in all the reality that Jesus died to bring you. And this is, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom. Now, from there in the passage, we see Paul, he, he brings some correction to the other crews in the church that were creating some problems too, the mystics and those practicing syncretism. He says in verse 18, he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they're not connected to Christ, for he holds the whole body together. Verse 20, I love this. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So Paul says, why do you keep following? Why do you keep following the rules of the world? Paul's like, listen, Jesus, and maybe some of you need to hear this today, Jesus is supreme over all creation. Amen. Jesus has no equal. He, he's the head of the church, and he holds all things together. So Paul's like, you do not need to say a prayer to other gods. It's going nowhere. You do not need to, to worship angels. There are no other visions. There are no other saviors or spirits for the church outside of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Paul's like, I thought we were past this. You're not even dead in sin anymore. You, know, you already died with Christ. You've been raised in new life. He set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Now live in the new reality. Live in this new reality with Christ. Stop playing by the old rules and instead choose to faithfully follow his rule. And this is, I would say, the, the summation of our passage for today. That your new life is now Christ and your new rule is now his way. Why? Verse 17, because your new reality is now his presence. Amazing. The former things are gone. They passed away. You are a new creation on the other side of this line called faith. So stop playing by the old rules. But, okay, like we said earlier, the change is challenging. Living here faithfully when all the world and everything is begging for your attention back here is, it can be, it can be maybe easier said than done. Easier acknowledged than applied. So how does this play out in real life? And I know we talk about this stuff a lot, about falling back into old patterns and, and not living in the past. You've heard me for years talk about how, how we need to begin to embrace this change of reality, which is Christ. So, so how, how can we make this difference? How can we faithfully make this change? Well, let's head back to our opening scriptures from 1 John and Philippians 2. 1 John and Philippians 2. We see this as some indication of what it means to live faithful on the other side of faith. He says this, If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him, in our new reality. 
Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And this is the simple but complicated answer if you want to live faithful and free. It's six words from verse six. Live your life as Jesus did. Live your life as Jesus did. I'm gonna say it one more time because it's worth repeating. You need to live your life as Jesus did. The old rules are gone. The only rule we have now is Christ. He is our reality. We are following him, so we must live our lives as Jesus did. Now, how did Jesus live? That's where Philippians 2 kicks in. And we could read all of Scripture to see who God is and what God has done, but I think Philippians 2 is just this epic passage describing the attitude or the way of Christ. Check this out. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And this is it. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the, the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. If you want to live your life as Jesus did and faithfully abide in this new reality that you have been given, there's two things. It all, all it takes is humility and obedience. If you want to live your life as Jesus did, it's humility and it's obedience. Humility is a correction of identity. Obedience is a correction of action. Let me say that one more time. Humility is a correction of your identity, what you believe to be true about yourself. And obedience is a correction of your action. And both are essential to living true in the life that we've been given. So let's talk about humility for just a second. When I was growing up, I always assumed that humility uh, was a weakness. I know. Like insecure people who weren't strong enough to get what they wanted. They were the humble ones. But when we look to the scriptures, that couldn't be any further from the truth. Because here we see Jesus, who is, again, the creator and sustainer of all creation. He is without match. He is God walking on earth with no equal. The only one who had the power and the authority to flex his, his goodness and his power. Jesus, it says, he chose a life of humility. Philippians 2, even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and placed himself under the rule of the Father. Jesus knew who he was. And Jesus knew where he was and what he should do. Because he was humble before God. What about you? What about you? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you really are? Do you know where you are? In which reality you now occupy? The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God? Who makes the rules in your reality? I don't want this to sound too existential, but who makes the rules in the world you live? Do you know? Because you can't live your life as Jesus did until you start to see yourself as Jesus did. And it all starts with 
humility. But how can we grow in our humility? For anyone struggling to remember who you are to God, start with this from Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. You want to grow in humility, y'all? Don't be selfish. If Jesus wasn't selfish with his time, his talent, his treasure, his past, or his future, then neither should you. Second, don't try to impress others. If Jesus wasn't trying to make a name for himself, you got to remember he was living for the glory of God, the glory of his Father, right? If Jesus wasn't making a name for himself, if he didn't try to build his own brand, then neither should you. Instead, Paul says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Take an interest in others where the reality of your past might say, this life is all I have. I better make the most of it. Where the reality of where we've been might say, you need to look out for number one, do what you need to, find your own way, make your own path. The rule of Jesus is very different. Because the rule of Jesus has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And so Paul says you must think of others as better than yourself because this is what Jesus did. And so this is the first step in living faithfully under the rule of Christ. It starts with identity. It starts with knowing who you are to God. And from there, this identity leads to action. Or as Philippians says, our humility prepares us for obedience. Your humility will prepare you for obedience. And this is second. We must be obedient to what God says, what God requires, what God commands, and what God declares. Everything Jesus did when he was walking on earth was in obedience to the Father. Everything. Everything he did was in response to who God said he was and where he was. Why? Because Jesus completely loved him. Jesus completely loved the Father. So if we're to live as followers of Jesus, like Jesus did, we must humbly obey what Jesus said. Back to 1 John. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Obedience is action by which our identity finds its place in reality. And if you're taking notes, write that down. Obedience is your action by which your identity finds its place in reality. Obedience to his rule is how we know we are living in him. And this brings us back to Colossians chapter 2. So don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or not celebrating certain days, for these rules are only shadows of the reality that's yet to come, and that reality is Christ. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worshiping other gods or angels, saying they had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, not humble. They've made them proud for you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Now, as I close today, and, and we're, ju we're just about done, thank you for listening. I know that you're here to listen, but I'm just grateful every time people do. Um, as we close today, I want to pray for you, but before we do, I, I just want to leave you with a question in response to our, our text, our passage, living like Jesus would, humility and obedience, all these things. I'd like to leave you with a question. Um, 
What are some of the things that you would say are keeping you from living your life as Jesus did? What are some of the things, what are the rules or realities from your former way that are keeping you from embracing the change God made in you? Think about that. And the reality is we've all got something. So let's just start with that, okay? If we were like in a counseling session, we'd all be able to write something on a wall and and burn it and throw it in a trash can, whatever that might be. We all got something that prevent us from living our lives as Jesus did. We've all got something from before we decided to follow Jesus. It just keeps begging for our attention over here. Maybe like the folks in Colossians, in Colossae, the city, maybe for you it's, it's this deep-rooted sense of duty and personal piety masked in legalism that always keeps your eyes, even if you're here, kind of always keeps your eyes on what you fleed from instead of what you came to. Maybe it's legalism. Maybe it's mysticism. Maybe it's syncretism, where even though you don't go to a temple daily to, to sacrifice goats to Zeus or Aphrodite, you do continue to sacrifice parts of your life on the altar of pride. You do continue to sacrifice parts of your life on the altar of pleasure or achievement or sexuality or wealth or security or even religiosity, where instead of humbling yourself before God, you, you place yourself on the same tier with God where you decide the rules. I don't know what that is for you, but you do. I only know what it is for me, those things that keep me from living like Jesus did. And the reality I've been saved for, uh, and honestly for me, I would say most of my challenges, most of my hangups are all rooted in identity. I'm pretty good at being obedient. I was raised in the church. I've got, kinda got this moral ethic baked into me as a human being. So I'm pretty good at, at being obedient to what God says, but I don't always remember why I'm obeying. Does that make sense? And it leaves me sometimes just insecure and, and, a, and a little apathetic at times, like, like I'm living new. I'm living over here, but I'm still kind of living with old rules, with old expectations, with old understandings. Instead of really living free, I'm still just trying to avoid being a slave. And so for me, I would say it's identity. It's, it's remembering that my solution here my, is, is remembering again and again that I am not who I once was. My whole reality has changed because God said so. Now it's up to me to humble myself, to humble myself to the rule of Christ, to who God says I am and where I belong. So that's me. What about you? I want you to think about that today and as we walk into this next week, because friends, we were not saved to return to our former way of life. We were not saved to return to where we came from. And no, it is for freedom that we have been set free. So I've got three statements for you, and I need some amens afterward, and then we are going to hit the road. But let us be a church that chooses to live free in the reality we now call home as God's people. Amen? And let us be a church that commits together to living like Jesus did, with humility and obedience to God, identity and action. Amen? And finally, let us be a church that exists in submission to the rule of Christ as we make our way from here to heaven. This is the way of Jesus. Let us follow him. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you, and then we are going to hang out and hit the road, but just so grateful that you decided to join us today. Jesus, we are so 
uh, just humbled to be in your presence. God, we, we trust uh, that you are with us even now, that you're real and you're good and you love us. And, and God, everything that you call us into in this new reality that you define will always eventually lead to peace. And so God, as we stand on, on the line of before and after, God, as we stand in this moment of transition into change, into this new way of life, God, we ask that you would just help us remember who we are to you. That you'd help us remember where we belong. God, that there is, that there is, there is no condemnation for us anymore. There is no chains that can hold us back to the past, God, because you have broken them and we are free whether we know it or not. So God, in this moment, help us recognize the rules that we are alive to abide by, and that is the rule of you as we follow you together as a community. God, I know that there's some folks here in the room today that are still kind of, they're people of the, of, the, of the future living in the past, and I, God, I just ask that you would free them from that, that condemnation, that captivity that they've been falling back into, God, that they would walk that line back into the new together. God, and I know that there are people here living in the, in the future that, that, are, that have just really failed at obedience to you. God, they might recognize that you are God and that you are king, but they haven't given every part of their life over to you. And so, God, we're here today, just like every week, and we're just saying, God, take everything I am. I walk this life with open hands. God, we ask that you would just take it, refine it, change it, move it, help us fall even more in love with you, God, as we exist in your presence, as we exist in this new reality with your house rules. So, God, we love you and we thank you. And we're so grateful that we could gather together today to remember this good news. So it's in your name that we pray. We all said, amen.